B-Sides. Hi. Hello. What's up? What's up? The B-Sides is a podcast for progressives who love pop, and specifically here in November 2020, for anyone who forever wants to drop the Electoral College into a volcano, but earlier this month got a lot of joy from the ballot counting and the red state, blue state music memes that wouldn't exist without the Electoral College. So it's complicated. Um, this we're is complex for- people. We're very complex. Like the state of Florida. <laughs> the state of Florida of podcasts. <laughs> Don't <Why? laughs> get throw that out of your mind immediately. It's in the trash. I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. And welcome to the B-Sides. Please subscribe if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday. So subscribing makes it way easier to keep up with us. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something that we have wanted to talk about for a long time. It feels like a lot of pressure to me. I don't know. But it also, but let's not let the, what's the, what's the saying? Let's not let the perfect be the enemy of the good or whatever. We have to, we have to talk about it. So today we're talking about the past and present, the personal and political of the chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. And more specifically, like my personal thesis, our thesis about why they are possibly the most punk band of all time. Um, and this is this is, you know, as we live through this moment we're in now, this dangerous little time just after the election where, you know, we have this sociopath autocrat still in office and like a harm reducing but still imperialist administration to come feels like just the right time to show some appreciation for challenges to America's truest legacy of imperialist, patriarchal, white supremacy, like really seeing it and saying something about it. And from a place of privilege where you really have some tangible things to lose by speaking up, that's punk. And that's the chicks. That's the chicks. And and it's some energy we could all use right now and some inspiration. So we're going to get into it. The chicks are also back this year with a new album, Gaslighter, and a new name. And we're going to talk about Gaslighter a bit later. Um, But first, let's just address the name change in case it is confusing to anyone or anyone didn't hear about it or whatever, because they were the Dixie Chicks for so long. So they changed their band name in June, 2020 on the heels of the upswing in racial justice protests. Um, Dixie refers to the South, but specifically the, in the context of the Mason Dixon line that at one point separated enslaving and free States And so it connotes the Confederacy and American slavery, not just the South. Um, And so the chicks had said for a while that they felt like it was a stupid name that they picked as teenagers and they wanted to change it years ago. And so they finally did. And it sounds like the, the final straw was that they heard the Confederate flag referred to as the Dixie swastika enough times. And they were like, all right, that's enough. That's enough. We're going to change our name and um, they, you know, they, they have worked in voter enfranchisement over the years, human rights, climate change. They support defunding the police. They've been anti-imperialist and punk for a long time um, as this also amazing country band from Texas. So um, I also want to say that 
we asked for all of your opinions, our listeners on the chicks. We asked for them. We got like so many responses, totally overwhelmed and appreciative. And they were all great. And we weren't able to include them all, but they were amazing. And we're, you know, including as many as we can throughout. So um, some opening thoughts from B-Side's friend Kyle about the chicks is that they are the most punk hate the chicks name but love their 2000 stuff and the fuck you george bush toby keith yeah i can agree with that i don't know do you guys have any thoughts on the the name change i like it i the only name change to me it's like i don't want to think of it as a name change because i was so wrapped up in the lady antebellum lady a scandal (laughs) that happened yeah so i'm like oh this is a good name change no one got hurt they didn't try to co-opt the black person's music uh with the name um, I am kind of surprised that it took them to 2020 to t- rebrand. Um, cause to me, they've always been a super like quote unquote woke. And well, I guess we'll talk about this more group. So I, I, yeah, it just seemed like everyone was doing it. So they did it type thing. I think it was the right call. And I don't think the chicks is the name that they would choose if they could choose any name. So I actually bet that they had like tough conversations about should we totally rebrand and have a brand new name versus should we have something that's like a little bit uh, familiar for our fans. Um, but no, no complaints. I just, I mean, I admire them so much that I'm sure they had a lot of tough conversations and figured out that this was a, the one they wanted to go with. So I'll let them have it. Yeah, I think so too. Obviously no complaints or qualms about moving away from Dixie. Um I'm sure I'm sure they they thought about it a lot. So, yeah. We trust them a lot. <laughs> we do. As that that will probably become increasingly clear over the course of this episode. Um but so do so do many of you from what I understand. Okay, so let's take it back now. Um because until this year the chicks were essentially on hiatus at least from producing a new album. After generating four major, major albums in eight years from 1998 to 2006 and making these major anti-imperialist statements at the height of the Bush administration and the, you know, 2000s American blind patriotism moment that lasted a very long time. Um, So before we get into their history, I was curious if you guys want to share a quick summary of your history and or relationship with the chicks, if you don't mind. So I, my strongest memory of the chicks is I had downloaded off LimeWire, not ready to make nice. And it cut through the bridge and it like skipped. So like the, the height of the bridge for the longest time, I thought like, you know, when it like, it's really, it builds really up, it cut in the version of LimeWire that I had. And I thought that was the song for the entire time. So that's like, that must've been like ninth grade or like 10th grade of high school. And I still loved it. And it took me a while in my mind to like reassociate how powerful that bridge is because the version that I had listened to so many times on repeat was cut in half. So now when I listen to it, I'm like, wow, a brand new song. But my it's interesting because my mind still thinks it's going to build into the way that I had illegally downloaded it off LimeWire. Um, so I've been with them for a while. I would say I was a, a fan, but definitely not 
uh, listening to their album on repeat type fan when I was in high school. Like I knew that the hits like landslide and not ready to make nice and good viral um, and wide open spaces, which I guess is a lot of songs, but definitely was more of like a top song person as like, as opposed to when Gaslighter came out, I listened to the entire album like multiple times. I associate them with my parents because in the wide open spaces era, my mom and dad would play them like, like Saturday mornings making or Sunday mornings, like making breakfast and wide open spaces was playing. And my sister and I like choreographed dances. We liked to perform for my parents. We would like sell them tickets. We did a lot of like Enya dancing and wide open spaces was definitely on in in that uh we would we would you know perform to wide open spaces so I associate them with my parents taste in music which I associate with like older stuff like that was actually a very contemporary thing they were listening to but I associate them with more with like Van Morrison and Paul Simon and and things like that but my mom especially does love um 90s country she's like I think Lyle Lovett is another you know artist in that in that vein for her And so I associated them with my parents and I didn't listen to them by my own choice, although I loved them. Um, And then in high school, I remember discovering Cowboy Take Me Away on a Taylor Swift Pandora station because I wanted to listen to Taylor Swift, but I didn't have the album. Um, So I listened to the Taylor Swift Pandora station. It was a lot of country and I loved that song. And but then it wasn't until I was like 22 or 23 where I was like, oh, they need to be a part of my adult music taste. And so since then they've been, but I still feel like I'm catching up and like making up for lost time, but they're very close to my heart and wide open spaces is an amazing album. And I love Gaslighter, but I still think that that album, I just, I love that album so much. This is great. I love, I love hearing all of this. I have to say that for me, you know, when we talk about like some other topics from the turn of the millennium, like I was there, I was on it. I was, I was absorbing content. Um, beyond my age, like in age inappropriate content. I was there for Britney. I was like, I was there for all of it. I wasn't really there for this. I don't think um, a lot of people I knew listened to them or my families did. And so I, I think, um, yeah, until I was actually probably, I've, I heard songs, but until I was really in college, I didn't really do a deep dive till then. Which was maybe for the best, because at that point, I felt like I had the sort of like my own experiences and like emotional range to really appreciate them on a different level and listen to like, there's your trouble like 75,000 times in a row, depending on what's going on. Okay, last, last thing before we get into their history is, so I asked you guys, Becky and Hannah, to... um just like watch the music videos for landslide and not ready to make nice. And then to say what you thought about them, not that you haven't watched them recently because I know that you have, but I just, I just want to hear like any just quick initial thoughts about both of them. These are such good or either videos. And Mimi, when you asked us to like rewatch them, um, Becky and I were both like, yeah, I mean, we've seen those in the last six weeks, like easily. We've just, not in preparation for this. It, they're just part of our, our, you know, regular rounds. Um, let's start with landslide, shall we? 
<laughs> the most unbelievable. What year was this actually? Do you remember? 2002. 2002. That's, I mean, it's the most 2002. I shouldn't have even had to ask. Unbelievable green screen queens. We have Natalie being in this like desert slash oasis with like poodle hair queen. We've got a pregnant grass house queen. We've got a downtown business wavy buildings queen. And somehow they all come together in an ocean at the end. It's, I really, it's like one of the best songs of all time, then covered to be an even better song of all time. That's a hot take. I'm sorry if that offended anybody. And then then the video, it's so easy to make fun of because it's unbelievable. Yeah. It startles me how low budget it was, but then I remember that it was almost 20 years ago. high budget. No, I I know. the time. (laughs) I was going to say, like, I feel like they were like, hey, you guys want to try out these new green screens? And they were like, yes, yes. And then they all, I mean, it's just, it's really strange. It's a really strange video. Um, And they all meet, you asked how they meet at this ocean, rhetorically. (laughs) But like Natalie Maines like climbs up these steps up up into the ocean. And then (laughs) for... um, the other two these doors that are just these like yep. normal like red house doors just open from also the ocean also the ocean and they just walk out it's really it's interesting and it like it's has stuff. really nothing to it also honestly makes me think about the video for the climb by miley cyrus <laughs> um and i know that they're like four years apart but <laughs> they have the same kind of like green screen weird like almost too literal to the music to like the lyrics of the song same similar vibe at least in at, I agree at least in the climb that's like if I remember correctly there is like a mountain or <laughs> something really like where's the landslide you yeah know? that's true I guess that's it's all true. metaphorical yeah. yeah and then for me like not ready to make nice another iconic one is less bizarre in retrospect but still reminds me it's very to me like my chemical romance it's very like 2006 kind of like yeah emo in in terms of the aesthetic I think it's still date it's still dated like landslide Mm -hmm. videos dated and um and not ready to make nice videos dated but I don't mind it at all and I love it and I mean the song makes me cry a lot but the video makes me cry every time like I'm always with it especially I mean that bridge your thing about the bridge Becky was so funny I because it's such an iconic bridge that then resolves. Mimi, do you remember yeah. singing Not Ready to Make Nice at Karaoke? And it was just like, I think I like lost myself for a moment looking at the video. <laughs> I have to say, Hannah and I have sung Not Ready to Make Nice at Karaoke more than once. But yeah. the latest time there was a video behind us. Yeah, like when the white viola comes in and it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Duh, um, <laughs> yeah, the 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 bridge thing is is so funny, Becky. Your story, like it's... for that very reason, <laughs> like it's hilarious. I, and, I should uh, really try to find the LimeWire version <laughs> of it that I had. It honestly might still be in my iTunes. It probably is. After this, I will try to find it so you guys can see exactly where it cuts. Yeah, please. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I for like I asked you guys to watch these, which you do on a regular basis anyway, for fun, but also. 
just to make a point, I think I hadn't seen the landslide video in a really long time. And I was like, floored. Um, But this is just, this is the point is that the chicks are like, their music is timeless. Their music is incredible. It fits in any period in so many situations. But at the same time, like their legacy is so grounded in this specific moment in the early 2000s. And like the videos truly show that. Um, So it's both. Uh, Okay, that said, let's get into it. We're going to talk about their early career. And then we're going to talk about like the inflection point during the Bush administration. And then we're going to talk about what they're up to now. Um, I learned so much in this history. Mimi, thank you for doing all this research. I learned so much. I'm so excited to share it with the B-sides. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited that we're all, we're all doing this together now. Okay. So the chicks were actually founded in 1989 as a four person group. Um, but Natalie Maines, who we know as the front woman, didn't join until 1995. And so, like, there were some changes to the lineup. It To me, it sounded like, I don't know all the details, but it sounded kind of like a Destiny's Child situation of, like, little unclear which, if the founding members are resigning or being pushed out. So the roster we all know and love with Natalie Maines as the lead singer and sisters Marty and Emily Irwin, that starts in 1995. Both of those, the sisters play like 75 string instruments. Um, Marty does the iconic viola moments, as we've been mentioning, the mandolin, guitar, double bass. Emily plays the banjo, guitar, bass, mandolin, sitar, accordion, just like on and on. And so they're just like, they're all extremely talented and accomplished musicians. Their harmonies together are magic. They're all from Texas. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. And we'll get into that more later but that's sort of the the foundation and they blasted off with two albums and basically from those albums became pop and country royalty and i think we'll sort of interrogate that latter one pretty soon they released wide open spaces in 1998 as i mentioned i'm obsessed with that album i just re-listened to the whole thing a few weeks ago but before i even knew we were going to do this and it was amazing and Fly in 1999, which is the one that has Cowboy Take Me Away. They smashed a ton of records. And in 1998, they sold more CDs than all other country music groups combined. They set a record for the best-selling duo or group album in country music history. They won a ton of awards. You get it. They're iconic. And even early on, the chicks introduced and kind of became a new touchstone for country music. Here in the late 90s, an extremely successful all-female band It's pretty unprecedented, but they were adored in the country music scene, which, you know, famously typically favors male artists in areas as trackable as radio plays to the more abstract culture that surrounds the music that we know favors men. Yes. And, you know, let's indulge. Let's read an excerpt from a Rolling Stone live interview from 1998, which I need to remind you guys, because I need to remind myself, is not in fact 10 years ago. It is in fact 22 years ago which I know, shocking. Um, Should you be tempted to write off the three blonde lookers and the Dixie Chicks as country spice phenomenon, you need to only catch one of their shows to realize that these so-called chicks, chicks, not Dixie, are for real. 
It's not that these girls aren't above on unabashed spice-like self-promotion. In fact, the Dixie Chicks rival some hip-hop acts when it comes to brazen, brazen, sorry, brazen stage banter, whether they're inciting the crowd to chants of chicks kick ass or pretending to hypnotize the concert goers and commanding them to buy their new album, Wide Open Spaces. But from the first note of the night, it was clear that what that these girls can play. Low-key, extremely sexist. I'll keep going. Um, backed by a tour band that includes drums, bass, electric guitar, and keyboards, the Dixie Chicks ripped through a set that ex- expertly traversed country, honky-tonk, blues, and country folk with a nod to blue gas thrown in for good measure. Natalie head pumps her way around the stage like a cross between a sorority girl and a, how do you say that, Megadeth? Megadeth, yeah. Megadeth fan. Making wild hand gestures that are equal parts band leader and cheerleader she blurs the line between skank and swank and all but tears the roof off the barn from the looks of it the dixie chicks are in for a date with mainstream popularity let's take a second to take that in um as as hannah also talked about above like and i still think it's true now country music is extremely sexist so much or not even sexist, but misogynistic. I, so much of, I really like Luke Combs, uh, Luke Combs, and I really love the song "Crazy Beautiful" or whatever. It's like, do you, do you guys know like Luke Combs? Okay, well he has a song that's like "Crazy Beautiful Love." It's like people play it at weddings and stuff like that, but it's still like it's like I love you even though you're crazy, and it's like, oh, <laughs> like not a great message to be putting out anyway i digress perhaps we'll have to do some reviewers reviewers <laughs> love to be like what's interesting is that these very successful female musicians are actually talented they love to be like truth bomb like this was like after taylor did her npr tiny desk concert i saw a lot of like you know what's interesting she can play music and it's like she's one of the biggest musicians in the world yeah, yeah. she can play music and what's really interesting about uh, that in 1998 is that it's like that plus the layer of like we're gonna needlessly call them skanks anyway yeah. and be like shocked that they have command of the stage and like so we Dixie Chicks brought in a lot of like never before country fans into the fold with fast and slow bops like wide open spaces there's your trouble cowboy take me away without you and ready to run and a lot of their songs were and still are specific and vivid but they're also extremely universal and I think that's what makes them so good and they've just like really mastered just like being good performers and being good songwriters and like the song Goodbye Earl which is literally about killing an abusive husband and is a smash hit but then you listen to the lyrics and you're like "Mm, perhaps like this is more telling about yeah the future of what the chicks will become right anti-abuse anthem where it's like this wife and her i think like her best friend like kill her husband and it's like very gleeful it's great yeah and jane Kramer, uh speaking of music videos um oh my god i can't remember her last name from 30 rock Kratz- jane, Kratz- jane kratowski Kratz- yeah she's in the Kratz- music video i never know her last name either oh wow yeah i forgot about that it's great another iconic video That's great. Okay, so we're about to move on into the next era, but first we're going to share from B-Side's friend Kitty um, what she had to say, which from this era specifically that the chicks were, she said, the chicks are so 
formative to me growing up. I recently put on Fly for the first time in over a decade and still knew the words to all the songs. Love when that happens. They were the only country music my family could agree on. Dad's folk country, mom's a Garth Brooksy country type. So they were always road trip music for us when we went on family vacations. Natalie Maines really changed the game for them. Goodbye Earl, iconic. Iconic in all caps. Ready to run, Sin Wagon, Wide Open Spaces, There's Your Trouble, absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, they are, they were like absolutely killing it in this moment. And as we sort of like pull this thread through, I want to say at this point, like in the late 90s, through some optics, you might mistake them for girl boss. Like they're working within this capitalist industry and they're taking over and they're benefiting from the system in a lot of ways. But no, they are they are not. And by the 2000s, we'll all know that they are actually unmistakably punk, which is the antithesis of girl boss, probably. So now we're going to move into the 2000s and, you know, get to like the the meat of the story, the meat of the punk legacy. I am so glad there's been a lot of requests for Mimi to do more girl boss content. Maybe it should be like a a bonus episode spinoff for Patreon or something. I don't know, but like there's a lot of it. And it's interesting to me that they were compared above to the Spice Girls at the time, which I never would have thought, but they were contemporaries of each other. And I think both were like slotted into some girl boss culture and both rejected that in interesting ways, but the chicks for sure. So yes, let's go to the Bush administration as so many of these B-Sides episodes are want to do. <laughs> let's go to 2001. They're embroiled in a lawsuit with Sony, their record label, underpaying them by millions of dollars in royalties. This was this is a history that Mimi taught me by creating this, this re- research for us. So if this is new to you, this is new to me too. But I bet a lot of people also know it. So they settle this lawsuit with Sony privately. But what comes out of it is their own record label imprint and more control over their image and sound. After 9-11, they play their new song, I Believe in Love, on a telethon called America, a tribute to heroes. So at this point in their career, they have more control. They're married. They're focused on family. And they come out with Home in 2002, writing more about their lives and their roots, as the name suggests. I had to do some research and learn that Natalie Maines was like 28 when that came out that because like that sounds like yeah you know she's like older and I'm like oh no that's how old I am but okay anyway no. so <laughs> right they were our age when they were our age slide like they're like grown-ups it's fine um the chicks and Natalie Maine's father independently produce home which is cute and this is also where we get some of the four the best four minutes of music ever their cover of landslide and it's followed by traveling soldier oh, what a transition more on that later, but Traveling Soldier, I listened to again yesterday just to get in the headspace. That'll break you, that song. That'll break you. So a year into the post-9-11 cultural void, they're still everywhere. They're doing VH1 shows with Mary J. Blige and Cher and Shakira, Stevie Nicks, Whitney Houston, all these amazing humans. They rank near the top of a 40 greatest women of country music list on a CMT special back when a lot of music channel shows were just ranking songs and artists. Anyway, they're very prestigious. They're flying high, especially as the country at large has this scary patriotic imperialist closing of ranks around George Bush moment. And a lot of people want their American country music and the chicks are delivering. Yes. 
but we need to take a pause and remind folks that this around all of this is happening. But Natalie Maines had her famous feud with Toby Keith, beginning with calling out his cultural void smash, courtesy of the red, white, and blue, the angry American, when she famously said it's ignorant and it makes country music sound ignorant. Chef's kiss. He responded by displaying as a backdrop of his show, of his show's essentially photoshopped image of her. I forgot about this. Images of her with Saddam Hussein. She wore a shirt that said F-U-T-K, fuck you, Toby Keith, to the Academy of Country Music Awards. She's she's literally like, we don't deserve her. Like, she's so good at the clapback. Um, but despite challenging one of the most popular relics of the early 2000s blind patriotism, patriotism as it happened, the chicks were still flying high in 2003, even singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl with the best harmonies you've ever heard. Because fuck Toby Keith. Right. So we have all this buildup because we're showing how successful they were. And when we talk about the cultural void, we're talking about the period, this something, a concept I've been workshopping since like 2009, but it's, it's a period right after 9-11 that lasts a few years where, you know, of course there's still culture, but a lot of what could have happened gets absorbed into this blind patriotism, into the concept of freedom fries, into just like this, this like absurd imperialist nonsense. And they're at the height of their career, even as they feud with Toby Keith. But then a month later, so a month after they, they sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl, huge spotlight, they go on what's called the top of the world tour, which is the, the tour for home, that latest album. And on March 10th, 2003, in London, at their first show of the tour, in the company of Europeans who are starting to just really hate America, Natalie Maines is introducing Traveling Soldier. Um, And this cover is taking off. It's a song about, you know, a teenage girl waiting for a a teenage boy, an army soldier in Vietnam to return from war and then she learns that he dies overseas and this is happening while the U.S. is sending a lot of young people to Afghanistan to fight a fake war on terror and is about to invade Iraq in 10 days um, with this justification of like it's American imperialism masquerading as weapons of mass destruction overseas and she says to this like very European crowd in London just so you know we're on the good side with y'all we do not want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the president of the United States is from Texas. That's queen shit. That's so punk. And I think, um, like, I, you know, I think the crowd was receptive to that. It's just that America was not. Like, it's easy to forget how big of a deal this was, especially now that that so many people, you know, we can, like, rail on Trump all we want constantly, and it's fine. And people do um, because he lacks the like quote-unquote civility that Bush and previous presidents had even as they were killing a bunch of people Um, you know when you consider all of the like untold the untold number of lives and the amount of money that could have been invested in communities instead of like sunk into this needless war um, we see that history begins to more clearly vindicate her But, you know, now it's like a lot of people have amnesia about Bush and they see him as this 
Huh? Ellen, <laughs> Ellen and like Michelle Obama, you know, like aye, aye, aye. they see him as this teddy bear who creates these like simple, innocent paintings rather than this war criminal that he is. And so it's important to remember that as she's making this comment during this scary peak patriotism in the U.S., like Bush had said broadly shortly before that to the world, you're either with us or you are with the terrorists, which is an insane statement. Um, And it's as his administration is bringing back waterboarding and taking advantage of, you know, this post 9-11 fear at home to gain support to invade a country that has nothing to do with 9-11 and everything to do with oil and profit and American imperialism. And so this country music band with droves of these like very conservative fans and success that felt inextricable probably from the country music establishment, it's a huge deal to step out as anti-war and anti-imperialist. And the backlash in the U.S. was immediate and terrifying. Yeah. And if I just want to remind folks, since we uh, read Jess, or we read Jessica Simpson's memoir for another book, but just remember that Jessica Simpson is out here like singing for our troops at the exact same time. So true. <laughs> Different vibes. Different vibes. Something that um, stuck out to me when I relearned this history is that the piece of information I remember is them saying that they're ashamed that George Bush is from Texas. I don't remember, I didn't remember them explicitly saying we're against this war. And that's notable to me because American politics in so many ways is obsessed with individuals and is obsessed with figureheads. And the fact that like that is the piece of information that got the most, I mean, and we'll talk about the backlash now, um, but even has the most staying power is about George Bush and not about the larger point they were making about war. Like it's, it's interesting to me that that was the part that I, I don't, I didn't remember that part of their sentence at all. (laughs) I really did. So that was notable for me. And after this, after this comment, what ensued is the most pervasive, violent backlash to a pop artist to ever happen before and since. You can look up videos of the organized protests in the U.S. where one of the activities is just ritualistically bulldozing their albums. The songs were pulled from country radio. They received death threats. They were booed at awards shows. They were no longer selling at massive venues. In short, they became the most hated act in the country establishment where they, when they had been so adored, like not even a year prior, immediately prior. Yeah, and here's a good quote from CNN um, reporting. Uh, You can't tell that I put that in air quotes. Uh, In 2003, music superstars, the Dixie Chicks, are finding out that criticizing President Bush's plans for war in Iraq can cost you airplay big time. Station managers said their decisions are prompt by calls from irate, irate listeners who thought criticism of the president was unpatriotic. The group, which got its start in Texas, was one of the darlings of this year's Grammy Awards. The three-woman band that blends bluegrass and pop hooks was spawned, has spawned legions of fans who embrace the ideals of strong women celebrated in some of the trio songs. The comments touched a deep nerve in Texas because they came from one of the biggest country groups to come out of the state and were directed to a president who calls Texas home. The Chicks have the number one country album in the United States on the Billboard charts called Home and the number one single, Traveling Soldier, which is about a U.S. soldier who fought in Vietnam. Hmm. Uh, so let that let that sink in, CNN. Uh, from B-Side's friend Alyssa, when I was a teenage Republican, whew, 
teenage Republican. Um, I threw out all my Dixie Chicks CDs um, as Fox told me to, and I regretted it profoundly. Even when I was happening, I would die for Natalie Maines. Interesting. Yeah, the the brainwashing was real or just the like surge of outrage. Um, yeah, I, I think we all would die for Natalie because she didn't walk back her anti-war stance. She did apologize to Bush, I should say, a couple of days after her remark. She said, as a concerned American citizen, I apologize to President Bush because my remark was disrespectful. I feel that whoever holds that office should be treated with the utmost respect. But beyond that, there was no pandering or compromising of principles or walking it back, even when they realized that it would it would cost something um, to their careers. Uh, you know, which I think is is a rare trait for famous people. So from B-Side's friend, Laura, she said, one thing that's hard for me to articulate why it's so frustrating about the chicks is how we all ended up hating George Bush anyway. So all the hate they got seemed in retrospect so outsized. I guess it's annoying because the response was so out of proportion and egregiously cruel and hateful. Another thing that I contemplate is how groups who seem to pride themselves on being pro-free speech for themselves absolutely lost their minds over this. Yeah, extremely hypocritical. And um, to your point, Hannah, about how, right, it seemed like it was more about George Bush than the war. It's like they, they're, it did more damage to their careers as music artists to be right about the war in Iraq than it did to like actual politicians and pundits to be oh wrong God, yes. about the war in Iraq. Like, <laughs> what? It's just like, it's absurd. Um, That's so upsetting. It's wild. I mean, it's in, in, in like to some degree now it's maybe it's just not unsurprising because we know that it happened and it happened long enough ago. Um, but when you frame it that way, it's really just like America is an unbelievable place and things were really never the same for the chicks, like until 2020 and even still their career sort of makes the most sense. And this is why we're framing it this way through this lens of like the pre Bush comment and the post Bush comment. So instead of backtracking, appeasing, heavily apologizing to rope their fans back in, they just are sort of like radicalized by it all, which is great and punk. Um, in fact, in 2006, I love this. After a few more years of Bush and like just absurd, endless war, Natalie Means took back her apology that she made in 2003. So in 2006, with this iconic statement, she says, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel he is owed any respect whatsoever. And she and the chicks got back to doing what they do best. They doubled down. They got to work producing more incredible, morally sound, substantive, heartfelt music. So not only did they not walk back their moral position, um, which I think a lot of people would do because uh, it's tempting. They also didn't, they also like poured all of their feelings and experiences into their art, which is also very difficult to do when so many of your fans turn against you and, and the establishment. So just great. Can't say enough. I'm feeling almost like moved to tears right now. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing very emotionally. Is that a way of saying things as like a baseline state these days? But I feel like I'm like, I'm just, there's so much to take in about them and so much to be inspired by. Um, yeah. And now we get to go to 2006 where a lot of good stuff happened. So a lot of decisions had to be made. 
a lot of moral compasses had to be followed for us to get Taking the Long Way, their 2006 album, their incredible comeback album. And we got it. And we're so thankful to this day. Some of the songs are sweet love songs to their families, which I list, I haven't listened to since Gaslighter. And that would be like an interesting lens to, to read it from knowing where those relationships ended up. So that's a different story. Some like easy silence in the context of the backlash. Um, it's like a very sweet song to, to sing to your family after you've been through something. But the general pop country vibe here is rage against the machine. <laughs> Refusal to conform, to be quiet, to not voice what you see as morally wrong because it's inconvenient. Everybody knows taking the long way around, not ready to make nice, those three songs. It's it, it's really almost a coming of age album, even though they're all very much adults at this point, but because as a band, they're now unabashed and unconstrained by the expectations of the country establishment and the blind patriotism that the establishment holds so dear. And that's beautiful. Punk's not dead. It's also yeah, fun. And let's share a quote from a Tumblr post from 360 or. 36 vultures in 2015 in the face of so much criticism the dixie chicks chose to stand with what they said when the country music world decided to shun them for it the dixie chicks released the biggest and most anthemic fuck yous that i've ever heard it's an incredible and inspiring story of how three women who rose to fame in the heart of country music chose not to back down to their own community the dixie chicks are punk fucking rock and it's it's about time they get credit they get the credit they deserve so this is the first album of theirs that virtually had no airplay on any country radio, which isn't really that surprising, I guess, now that we know their history, but it did hit number one on pop and country charts immediately and then became the first female band in chart history to have three albums debut at number one. Woo! The Chicks had won Grammys before, but this year they were nominated for five and won them all. Fuck you, CMAs, including Long of the, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Album of the Year. Hardly anyone wins all three, except for our girls. And they took it as a public support for free speech and progressive politics they had come to represent. Where's the ACLU on all of this? Would be interesting to circle back to them in 2002. <laughs> I would love to see, like, if this happened now, their, like, Instagram posts being like. Yeah. We are not ready to make nice. That yeah. That would be their slogan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we should say, you know, it's not as if the chicks had no fans left. They just, it's like they sort of had a certain subset and then maybe, like, a new subset as a result of this. Um, but still contending with with a lot. So going to read a quote from Eileen, the B-Sides community, um, where she said that she loved the name change. She's been a fan since Wide Open Spaces and that a lot of people are shocked. She says a lot of people are shocked when I choose a song of theirs for karaoke because I'm associated with not country music. Um, Eileen, as an aside, like we can, we're with you on that. We vouch. Um, but I would agree that they are punk and unconventionally country while being 100% country. How is it not country to sing about killing your abusive ex-husband? I was going to say they aren't the most punk rock ever, but now that I type this, they absolutely are. They stuck it to George Bush and stuck with it despite fans burning their CDs. Yeah. Can we talk about the um, this documentary? Yeah. Have you seen it? Yes. So... Around this same time, 
as Mimi reminded us when she was doing her research for this, the documentary Dixie Chicks Shut Up and Sing came out. It followed them since the 2003 London concert, but even some basic cable networks wouldn't air ads because they deemed they deemed it a public controversy, which is riveting if a little unsatisfying because obviously there's a hard stop in 2006 for the movie, so not much analysis. Um, but my mom took us to see it. She was like, this is important. I want you to see it. And wow. I really remember that being like a useful piece of, of art for me to consume as a 14-year-old. Yeah, we saw it in theaters, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, I didn't mom. see it. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah, I didn't see it until like a few years ago. And for that reason, I was like, you know, if I saw it in 2006, I wouldn't be like, wow, there's first of all, I would have been 15. Second of all, I would have been like, wow, there's like not much analysis. And it wasn't a criticism. It was just like a wow, this is like a really interesting period of time in this documentary. And now that 10 years have passed, like, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in more, but if anyone, Becky, I don't know if you've seen it, but like any, I'm sure some of our, of the listeners out there have seen it, but if you haven't, or if you want to revisit it, like it's online and you can really see, if you want to see some CDs get bulldozed and you want to mm-hmm. see the chicks get like increasingly resolved, I think in like what they're going to do about it. It's, it's great. I have a question for the B-size listeners right now. Um, I have been, we've been like thinking about what it would, you know, we've done album clubs in the Facebook group before, but I kind of want to do a movie club or like watch something together or I, and I don't know how we would do that, but maybe it's like we watch something and then we come together on a certain, you know, time in the Facebook group and talk, but maybe this could be a movie that we all like watch together and talk about. Yeah. I was going to say that I think that I saw it, but I don't, I, if it was a long time ago and I don't have any recollection of it. So we, I would love that. If people want that, please let us know on Instagram. Followed by Spice World. Oh my God, that would be fun. Yeah, we won't do it if you don't want it. So someone tell us to do it. (laughs) We'll do it. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, All right. So now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about post-Bush chicks. Now, present, future. The future of punk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Anyway, Taking the Long Way was sort of a mic drop. And in large part, it sounds like they just wanted to focus on their families and leave the limelight because the limelight (laughs) sounded stressful. So they continued playing together. They went on tour a few years later and they still occasionally performed. They didn't like break up or anything. They released albums separately, but not all together as one act. But they were major influences on and they paved the way for younger, major female pop country artists like Taylor Swift, Casey Musgraves. I think actually Taylor said that she was warned not to speak on politics for years because she'd, quote unquote, end up like the Dixie Chicks. Um, She mentions this in Miss Americana. Um, Mimi asked us, you know, do you do you remember any more about this? Um, I I. I wouldn't have remembered that coming from Taylor's mouth specifically, but I had made that connection for sure. 
I don't know, Becky and Mimi, if you have things to share about that. No, yeah, I think that she she does use them as an example in the doc. Um, and I think that that probably, I also think that it probably shaped how her dad and her producers like worried about her doing stuff like that based on the backlash that the Dixie Chicks got. Yeah. And seeing it all as very zero sum, like if you lose fans, you d- then there's nothing that will have been gained. There's no moral high ground or actually new fans or, you know, laying the groundwork for future success. It's all very zero sum. It's a really stupid way of thinking about fame. Totally. Totally. And so the next time the chicks, I think the next time they were on my radar, like resurfacing together was in 2016 when they performed daddy lessons from Beyonce's Lemonade with her at the CMA Awards, which was amazing. So good. And then they were on Soon You'll Get Better from Lover, Taylor Swift, 2019. Like very softly, like they were very much in the background. They should have been utilized more objectively, but uh, that's fine. It was, it was, you know, it's a, it's a sweet, um, sad song and it's one thing that's interesting about that is like some people were or are still angry like there were reports of people hearing that song in a bar or restaurant or some public venue and asking for it to be turned off because the chicks were on it singing very quiet background vocals like it wasn't something against the song I think the thing that's most notable about that is not that people still harbored their 2003 idiocy but that any bar would play soon you'll get better because that song is a, will make you cry i know i'm not trying the vibe to, i don't know what the <laughs> right i don't know exactly what the context was for that it may have just been like a it may have just been like a pandora like restaurant kind of thing um not like at the club but <laughs> yeah i agree i was like what is the the right context for that i would be like excuse me can you turn this off because i'm going to cry <laughs> not <laughs> Yeah. But then they started hinting in 2019 at a new album, which we knew was going to be produced by Jack Antonoff, Becky's personal favorite. Episode nine, I think. Yeah. Of this podcast. We hate to say it, but he does good work. We hate to We hate to see it. His new album is coming. He like he like kind of announced it last night on Twitter. He he dropped a uh, get push alerts for him. Well, no, but he dropped. (laughs) This is embarrassing. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to. He posted um, a a phone number to call or text. And so I texted it because I was like, maybe this is Jack Antonoff. And it was it was not. It was an automatic, an automated reply. I think I was like, I asked him about like, you know, I was like, if the verse is the blues, the chorus is the gospel, like what's the bridge? He did not respond, but he did say uh, there was an automated automated response that said. Believe. But the first E in believe is a three. So it's it reads B3 leave, which means bleachers three. So yeah. Wow. Oh. Hannah, very good. That's just an aside for all the Jack Antonoff content we always like to throw in there. Cool. Well, I'm sorry it wasn't his real number, but someday. So with the production support of Jack Antonoff, um, the chicks released Gaslighter earlier this year. A little later than expected due to a pandemic. But it dropped this summer and the lead single and video Gaslighter came out in March. 
And what is clear from this album and just from like being a person is that and like not producing an album for 14 years, but still being around is that they've gone through a lot of major life changes. Um, At least a couple of them. Certainly Natalie has gone through a divorce, a pretty tumultuous one. And so like divorce and moving on and kind of like rediscovery and reformulating your life and trying to raise kids through all that. Like all of these are, are major themes of this album. So a related take from B-Sides friend Sarah, she said, we love to see the growth, the growth they've shown. They were clearly always doing some critical thinking back when they were like, fuck the Iraq war, but have continued to stay engaged and critical of themselves and also producing flame emoji, fuego music. I have to admit, March, March and my best friend's wedding and sleep at night kept me going through many a pre-November 4th night. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so then I I thought, like, because the chicks haven't been around so much um, or haven't released an album in a long time until this year, I asked, I thought about and I asked Hannah and Becky, like, if there were for maybe people who are younger or less familiar, if there were other albums or artists that most people would know from the last few years that they could use to describe what this album is like. Whereas like, you should just really listen to the album. But I thought it was an interesting thought exercise to be like, here are some other touchstones to describe what Gaslighter is like. I mean, I'll start. So I, so I, for me, it's a combination of Lemonade by Beyonce and Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. Because, and both of these albums have like so much, so much range, um, but as does Gaslighter, but Lemonade is, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rage on Lemonade. There's a lot of like, especially at, you know, a significant other, and there's a lot of power and a lot of um, like coming to accept certain things, you know, making relationship transitions and things of that nature. And then Golden Hour has more of the I guess the actual like sonic nature of it, like the country roots and the country sort of mythology at play. But they're both like such thoughtful albums and they both have a lot of range. Um, But, you know, I I just thought that that was a good mix. Um, One album that it makes me think of, and I think that that Dixie and Marin Morris should definitely do some type of collab it makes me think of the the girl that Marion morris's 2019 album girl mm. which is very similar vibes and i love Marion morris so true i didn't think about that but such a good one that it, it came to me while we were talking about this yeah. um i don't maybe they haven't done a collab before but i could see that happening they're very similar totally. like to helen back i think could be on gaslighter and girl is kind of um and girl, why am yeah. i forgetting what's the song about like that names a woman as the name of the song i'm thinking karen don't be sad but that's uh that's miley cyrus <laughs> on on girl on gaslighter oh juliana calm juliana down. calm down not karen don't be sad <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were talking about on girl and i was like no I but i'm saying like girl reminds me of juliana don't be sad yeah in terms of the message juliana yeah. calm down yeah. sorry <laughs> Which I was, 
Should it be Karen? Calm down. Karen, calm down. I mean, yes. Anyway, the one I was going to say was um, that it reminds me of if like if Taylor and Jack Antonoff worked together in 2010 for Speak Now, like Bleachers plus 2010 Taylor, but with the additional ingredient of wisdom and 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 growth, like specifically Taylor and Jack would not have been able to make a wise album in 2010. It just would have been fire. So Bleachers plus 2010 Taylor plus wisdom equals Gaslighter, in my opinion. Yeah, love it. Just a thought exercise. Right. Um, regardless. Let us know yours in the comments. Yeah. Yeah. Please let us know. So, you know, the chicks are what's clear from this album and a lot of the work they've done since 2003, 2006 anyway, is that they're still very punk forever. Like the Gaslighter music video. If we go back to talking about music videos for a second, it's like this like pink dystopia. There are these like brainwashed military themes. March, March connects very clearly to the gun violence epidemic in the U.S. and, you know, other larger progressive marches and movements. So they're they're still very much on top of it at this point. Yeah. And here's a quote from The Ringer, um, which I think touches on that. The Texas's trio's fury and vulnerability and fearsome resolve bleeds into everything. A fine mist of unease and reticence and abnormality permeates everything about Gaslighter, the chick's first album in 14 years, a spry but sorrowful affair released amid both a global pandemic and the progressive reckoning triggered by the international protests following the death of George Floyd that finally convinced the band to boot the Dixie from their name. Few artists living or dead have melded the personal with the political quite like the chicks with great audacity or greater consequences. If the chicks can survive what they have survived, then you, Hesper or Berta or Juliana or whoever can too. You emerged from Gaslighter as bruised and rattled and enraged as Mains does, but replenished as well. The outrage of what she's had to survive giving way to colossal sense of achievement of her having survived it. It's not right, but it's okay. Those aren't her tights, but she's the captain now. Yeah, I actually think it's it's interesting with Gaslighter being released because obviously when they made it, did not know there was going to be a global pandemic and they delayed the release of it too. I think it was supposed to come out in April and they delayed it to July, um, which I think was that silly time when artists thought that the pandemic would be two months long and that they would be able to tour. And I assume that's probably why they delayed it. But I'm very much looking forward to going on the Gaslighter tour whenever that is, if that's in two to three years, I hope that they give Dixie or sorry, I hope they give the chicks fans the vaccines first so we can head to a big stadium and all just scream and cry Gaslighter. Um, But with or without Gaslighter, can we just say that history has been as vindicated uh, the chicks and what's next now is that they've sadly or not sadly sung the national anthem at the DNC. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think on the um, the Gaslighter tour there, I think I think that Chicks fans are ones who are more readily like accepting of vaccines. I will just say that at this point, probably. I don't know, man. There's a lot of progressive people I know who are like, I don't want to get the vaccine first. I'll wait. Well, that's different than being like, I don't believe in vaccines. Okay, Waiting true. is different. Yeah. True. I still think we should prioritize some chicks fans and um, <clears throat> the, some of us that have tickets to Loverfest. A yeah. ticket to Loverfest should just jump you in line. That's what I think. Right. Those are the rules. 
as you make them. Um, Yeah, singing at the DNC. After, like, especially just after, I mean, the last time I remember singing them singing the national anthem was at the Super Bowl in 2003, right before their their career changed. So it's all very interesting. I won't pretend to be able to predict anything that's going to happen in any given week at this point anymore or any time in the future. But it's just great to have them back and to have a new album. Um, it's just really ideal, especially in this terrible, terrible year. And we thank them for their service and for being so, so punk this whole time. And I think that's about it. Any other final thoughts? We love the chicks. We love punk music suddenly. (laughs) Some of us suddenly, some of us less so. Yeah, either, you know, sonically or spiritually. Yeah. Say it that way. Mimi, thank you so much for taking us through this. Like there was so much in this that in the research that you called that I didn't know or hadn't really made uh, connections with as an adult. So I'm very grateful for this. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed it as well. Yeah, hope so. Tell us if not. (sighs) All right. So that's our show, but it's not the end of the conversation. Tell us if you hated this or or loved it. We can't wait to hear what you think. And we appreciate um, all of your insights as we were pulling together this episode as well. You can follow us on Instagram at listen to the B-Sides on Twitter at the B-Sides pod and join our Facebook group by searching the B-Sides or going to bit.ly forward slash B-Sides FB group. You can also email us with questions and ideas because everyone loves email and no one is tired of it at listen to the B-Sides at gmail.com. All of these links will be in the description of this episode. So, you know, you can take a second now, open your podcast app scroll down there they are and like we said at the jump please subscribe if you haven't already rate and review us on itunes and we'll see you in two wednesdays so until the next time we cut to the feeling i'm mimi i'm hannah and i'm becky toodles bye bye (laughs) see you later